0: Good evening everyone, great to see you, thanks for coming back tonight, and thank you for that ministry and music, and a good reminder of what we considered this morning, God certainly will make a way. Tonight we are in Ephesians chapter 6, and in particular looking at the armor of God, and tonight we consider the metaphors of the pieces of the armor of God. So in Ephesians 6, 13 to 17, we read, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the blessed prate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet having put on the ruddiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. I just want to pause for a moment. Uh, I'm in a situation, I just feel my sugar has just crashed. And when that happens, I don't think too well, think too straight. What, what's the matter? No, that's all right, but, uh, but let's just take a moment and pray. Our Father, uh, we just ask for your assistance. I pray that you would help me get through this tonight. And not merely get through it, I, I pray that you would give strength and that uh, you would give me a, a clear mind, uh, the ability just to breathe and to speak. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, and we know that all things or for your purpose bring glory to yourself tonight we pray in jesus name amen the armor of god is an extended metaphor of the protection that god supplies in standing our ground against the evil one what is stressed is that we are to resist the evil one not in our own strength but in god's strength ephesians 6:10. the exhortation is finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might That certainly is the theme of this section, trusting in God's power and not ourselves. We rely on God's strength by seeking his protection. That protection is represented in the metaphor of the armor of God. Verse 13, therefore, you see that's the application of this truth of standing firm, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The emphasis of the passage is not to give ground to the evil one verse 11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the evil operative word there is stand In Ephesians 6:13 it reads Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm verse 14 Stand, therefore. So it's all about standing, standing, standing. And the picture here is of a battle. For we find in this passage that we are in a battle. Not with human entities, but with the evil one. And so the imagery is one of warfare. And in battle, it's important that you maintain your position. Sometimes you need to maintain that position at all costs, meaning that you don't retreat, you you don't move away, you don't flee, you don't run, but you hold the ground, especially in a battle. If you have the higher ground, if you have the operative part of the battlefield, you want to be sure that you don't lose it. It's in that picture that we're told to stand. We don't want to lose any ground spiritually. We don't want to give in. We don't want to cave We don't want to back down in our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. Now, I have here a caution. We must exercise restraint as we consider the metaphors of the pictures of the armor of God. We must not try to push the metaphors too far. Uh, In my estimation, there are many, many books out there that do just that. Uh, there are people that have written volumes on the armor of God. I submit to you that it's supposed to be very basic. We don't want to push these metaphors too far. So I appreciate the succinctness of the Hol- Holman Bible commentary, and I'll be referring to it repeatedly as we consider the picture of the armor of God. Just an aside, in the church library is the complete set, Old Testament and New Testament of the Holman Bible commentary, I would recommend it to you. It's very, very readable. Uh, it is very brief in its handling, but what it says is is good and, and helpful, but it really focuses on the big picture of just the main ideas in any particular passage. So it's helpful if you're teaching Sunday school or something. It just, as I say, very succinctly uh, points out the, the main points and helps you to put a passage together. So with that in mind, I'm going to be heavily relying on the Holman Bible commentary tonight. And then secondly, I also quote pretty extensively from uh, Brian Chappell's uh, commentary on the book of Ephesians. I don't do that very often. That is quote extensively from commentaries. But sometimes I think it's it's helpful. Sometimes it's valuable. Uh, Many times they say things better than I can say them. So uh, I want to give them the credit and uh, just present uh, their work in much of what we are looking at tonight. We will consider each piece of the armor. First, we will explain the metaphor. Then we'll seek to apply it. So the first piece of the armor is the belt. Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The historical metaphor explained. The belt of truth pictures the large leather belt the Roman soldier wore. It held other weapons and kept his outer garments in place. So it was a rather wide belt made of leather. Think of things hanging from it, perhaps a sword and other instruments. It's kind of like the utility belt that a construction worker would wear. Big around their waist and hammers and different things hanging from it. Uh, That's kind of the picture of what the belt was in the armor of the Roman soldier. The historical metaphor applied. I'm just going to be reading the bold parts. To put on the belt of truth can be understood as accepting the truth of the Bible and choosing to follow it with integrity. Choosing the truth of the Bible... And seeking to follow it with integrity, and then I uh, give you the uh, information there on the commentary, Max Anders, Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, etc. And then a quote from Brian Chapel: "This often is interpreted either as studying the truth so that you know it well, or speaking the truth with integrity." Uh, One of the ways that it is helpful to think about how a particular verse is being used in Scripture is to study it in its context, therefore you look earlier into the the book. Uh, Scripture builds upon itself, all right? Chapter 2 builds on 1, 3 builds on 2, 4 builds on 5, etc. So as we look at just how truth is depicted in the Scriptures, we find Ephesians 4.21— assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him as the truth is in Jesus. So Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He spoke the truth. He lived the truth. He was faithful to the truth. Truth was in Jesus. It was from Jesus. It was embodied by Jesus. He was consistent with the truth. So, we need to embrace all that Jesus taught, and not simply what Jesus taught, but all that the Word says. Uh, We need to be people of the truth. We need to know what the truth of God's Word is if we're going to stand against the evil one. And then Ephesians 4.25 makes the application, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So just as Jesus was the embodiment of truth, we are to be the body embodiment of truth as well. We're to be truthful people. And when it says that we're speaking truth with our neighbor, certainly that begins with speaking about the gospel. It, it's speaking that which is consistent with the word of God, but also has implications for integrity uh, and uh, steadfastness, that we are people that... Uh, our word can be trusted. Uh, it's reliable. We don't exaggerate. We don't commit ourselves to things that we have no intention of doing. We don't defraud. We don't lie, cheat, all those other things. So all of that is wrapped up in this idea of putting on the belt of truth. And we find here that the same imagery can and used differently elsewhere, the same imagery being that of the belt, In Isaiah chapter 11 verses 4 and 5 speaking of the coming Messiah and the type of king he is going to be Isaiah 11 4 and 5 reads but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. What I am simply pointing out here is that in our text, the belt is the truth. In Isaiah chapter 11, the belt is the righteousness. In our text, the righteousness is the breastplate. My point of citing that is that we shouldn't get hung up on the particular pieces of armor because they're referred to differently in different places of scripture. It's not about the metaphor It's about what the metaphor represents. It's about the truth. It's about the righteousness. It's about that which the metaphor represents. So, for example, people will commonly say, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, that covers the heart. Therefore, it's a guarding of our heart. It's a guarding of our emotions. Uh, We need to be very careful about our emotions. Well, the breastplate didn't just cover the heart. It also covered the liver. It covered every vital organ, all right? So, again, to, to make it try to walk on all fours is just not very helpful. Uh, we need to focus on what the armor represents. So what we need to think about is putting on the truth. Putting on the truth. Secondly, the breastplate. Ephesians 6.14. Stand therefore having... Fastened on the belt of truth was having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The historical metaphor explained. The breastplate of righteousness pictures the metal armor in the shape of a human torso, common to the Roman uniform. If I would have been half with it this week, I would have thought of doing a PowerPoint presentation that Pastor Dave would have put together. (laughs) I wouldn't have put it together. But we could have had pictures of these things that you could see them. So you've got to use your mind's eye because I don't think about PowerPoint presentations and I don't think about that kind of stuff. So I apologize. The historical metaphor explained. To put on the breastplate can be understood as choosing not to harbor and nurture known sin. It is striving to be like Christ and living according to his ways of righteousness. Max Anders says that. This may be interpreted as acting righteously in as many situations as possible. That's what Brian Chapel says about that particular statement. This metaphor comes from the Old Testament, and is used of the coming Messiah. Isaiah 59: 16 and 17. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. So you can see in Isaiah 59 16 that righteousness is the righteousness that he lived out. His righteousness upheld him. That's what caused Jesus to stand that he lived righteously, he lived holy, he did not commit sin. And that is how we are to withstand the evil one, by choosing to live holy and righteous lives, not desiring to sin, not wanting to sin, and fighting against it. In 1 Thessalonians, the breastplate is of faith and love. Here, faith should be understood as faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Again, just pointing out that this armor, the metaphor, is interchangeable with what the elements are of righteousness and faith, and etc., So it's not about the armor it's about these elements that we're to put on next the shoes Ephesians 6 15 and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace the historical metaphor explain feet fitted with the Readiness pictures the hob-nailed shoes which kept the soldiers' footing sure in battle. historical metaphor applied. The Greek word for readiness that is used in our text does not appear anywhere else in the New Testament. So you can't go to another passage to illustrate it or to gain more understanding because the word isn't found anywhere else in the entire New Testament. The closest that you can come to is Romans 10.15. How are they to preach unless they are sent, as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So what is being said is Readiness. Readiness. Notice the text says that specifically if you look at the top of the page, 615, and his shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It means that we are always to be ready to speak the gospel to others. We need to be Prepared. We we need to be on guard. We don't want to miss the opportunities that God presents to us, nor do we want to back down. You know, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We we need to be willing to identify with that gospel. If Satan can shut us up, we certainly are going to begin to lose ground uh, if we are not telling others the truth of God's word. If we're not sharing with others how to be saved, the church is going to dwindle. So we uh, need to stand firm by having our feet shod and ready with the gospel of peace. Then there is the shield. Ephesians 6.15, and... Uh, uh, oh, excuse me, I got the wrong verse there. Uh, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by uh, the gospel of peace... Uh, And uh, it should be verse 16. Uh, I've got it down. Uh, No, I don't. I don't list it anywhere. But um, verse 16. Thank you. Hope you could all hear that. Taking up the shield of faith, which is able to uh, quench the fiery darts of the evil one. The historical metaphor explained The shield of faith pictures the small round shield the Roman soldier used to deflect blows from the sword, arrow, or spear of the enemy. The historical metaphor applied to take up this shield can be understood as rejecting temptations to doubt, sin, or quit, telling yourself the truth and choosing on the basis of the truth to do the right thing. Rejecting the temptation to doubt, sin, or quit. That's very helpful. That's very helpful. We need to have this shield of protection. The helmet. Ephesians 6.17, and take the helmet of salvation. The historical metaphor explained. The helmet of salvation pictures the Roman soldier's metal protective headgear. I think we've all seen that and that readily comes to mind. The historical metaphor applied. It does not refer to our salvation in Christ. First Thessalonians speaks of the helmet of the hope of salvation, which is probably a parallel idea. That being the case, taking the helmet of salvation could be understood as resting our hope in the future and living in this world according to the value system of the next. In other words, we are looking forward to the actual living out our salvation, that ultimate deliverance that's going to come to the child of God. As we we think about God's word, and it talks about salvation, it talks about it in three tenses. There's salvation past, which is salvation from the penalty of sin. There is salvation present, which is Salvation or deliverance from the power of sin that we experience on a daily and regular basis. We want to be being delivered from the power of sin over us. And then there's salvation future, which is salvation from the very presence of sin. And when, of course, we are in the presence of God, there will be no sin. We will not sin. We will not experience the consequences of sin. And people around us won't be conducting themselves in a sinful manner. So we need to be keeping that in mind, that this world is not all there is. There is a world to come, and we need to guard ourselves, that we live with a heavenly perspective. Colossian tells us that we are to seek the things which are above. We are to be contemplating the future. We're to be contemplating what it's to be like with Christ. We're to contemplate what this new world is going to be like when he returns and sets up his kingdom. Being reminded that this is not all there is. It is so easy to look at life as though this is all there is. This moment in which I'm living is so important. It's so drastic. and In reality, it's a brief moment. James refers to it as a vapor. (laughs) It's a vapor. Uh, James also refers to it as grass that withers. This life is so brief, it is so short, and eternity is just that. It's forever and ever and ever and ever. This life is a speck. Eternity just goes on and on and on. And somehow we have to live this life remembering that it's a speck. This too will pass. This too will come to an end. I hate that I as I'm getting older I think like an older person. You know, and the and all those things that I always heard when I was young, such as when you get older, you're gonna look back and life it just zooms by. Well, now that I'm older, I'm looking back and life just zooms by. You know, I've been here for 40 years. I can remember very well the first day I came. And it seems like it was yesterday. Not to you, I know. But to me, it seems like it was yesterday. So much water under the bridge and so much water that you don't even remember, you don't even reflect upon. What was a big deal? Turns out not to have been such a big deal afterwards. The sword. The sword. Ephesians 6.17 And take the helmet of salvation and the sword... Of the Spirit. Historical metaphor explained the sword of the Spirit pictures the soldier's weapon sheathed to his belt and used both for offensive and defensive purposes. Historical metaphor applied. Taking the sword of the Spirit defined for us as the Word of God can be understood as using scripture specifically in life situations to fend off attacks of the enemy and put him to flight. We see the example of Jesus using the scripture this way in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. Jesus fought the temptations that the evil one used by wielding the word of God. If you can just think upon those temptations that Jesus faced, he met each of those temptations by quoting the scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but uh, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every temptation he quoted scripture. Scripture is a wonderful, wonderful way of battling our thoughts, battling the evil one. There is that moment of conviction that comes before we commit knowledgeable sin. You know, by God's grace, there is that moment, and you know it well, when we're about to do something where we are consciously sinning, there's that moment that comes into our thought that this isn't right, I shouldn't do this. That conviction It is so important to fan that conviction, to stir it up, to not just ignore it and to move on. And one of the ways to fan that conviction is to have the word of God in one's heart and mind and be able to reflect upon it, be able to to pull it out. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? to know the scriptures and know what it says and understand its promises. And at that moment, to quote it and ask God to help you and overcome that, that sin and that temptation. In Hebrews, the sword of the word of God can pierce to the very heart. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God can reveal our hearts to us. As we sit under the preaching of the word of God, as we sit under the teaching of the word of God, as we have our devotions, God uses that word to speak to us. God uses that word to convict us, to show us our need and God also uses that word to reassure us, to help us, to comfort us, to encourage us. Hopefully, tonight He will use His word to be a benefit to us in this spiritual battle. So, taking up this sword, which is the Word of God. And then we have this helpful summary by Brian Chappell, which reads. The apostle carefully identifies the source of the strength in our armor. He says, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. How do we to be strong in his power? We put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6.11. After identifying the magnitude of Satan's power, Paul again tells us to put on the full armor of God. The apostle repeatedly emphasizes the divine source of our protection, we take our stand against the evil schemes and stand our ground now these words and I wish I would have emboldened this not primarily by more vigorous performance of good deeds or by greater exercise of our willpower and resolve but through confidence in and dependence on God's provision. Looking to God. That's the whole point. Not trying to Strengthen ourselves. This is not about building up your muscles. This is about putting on the armor. This is not about what you can supply. This is about what you receive. So in all of this, it's about asking God for his help in this. For we find later that the way you put this armor of God on is through prayer. Asking God to help you be an honest person. Asking God to increase your faith. Asking God to help you to be more righteous and holy in the living out of your life, confessing the need and looking for God to supply that need. Uh, Ryan Chapel goes on to say, and I continue to quote. Thus, when the day of evil comes and our temptation is great, we should not say Satan cannot touch me because of how truthful, righteous, and faithful I have been. Rather we should say I am protected by the truth that though I feel weak I am strong. Though I may fail I possess Christ's righteousness and though I am not perfect I have peace with my God who has provided the faith I could not conjure. For faith too is a gift of God. The salvation I could not earn and the spirit I daily need. And now these words, again, which I probably should have bolded. The spiritual disciplines and godly practices of our lives are not what protect us against Satan. They are the means of grace by which God builds within us greater understanding and confidence in him so that we will stand on his promises and provisions when the day of battle comes. I love that statement where he says, The spiritual disciplines and godly practices of our lives are not what protect us against Satan. They are the means of grace. In other words, it isn't simply that we read the Bible that we are protected. It isn't that discipline of getting up every morning and reading our Bible through that is now this reward that God is going to protect us because I have been disciplined, I have been faithful, I have done what's right, I've read the Bible, now I am protected. Now, as he says, it's the means of grace. It's not the fact that you read it alone. It's because you have been nourished. You have been strengthened by that word. It's what the word of God does in our hearts and our lives that results in that strength. So don't rely on our deeds and our activities as being the source of our strength. They lead us, hopefully, to the source of our strength, which is our Lord and Savior. Hopefully, as we pray, our thoughts are directed to him. Hopefully, as we read, we understand his promises. We understand the truth. We are thinking more about the future and less about this day and this moment. So God is using all of this. That is his armor. That is his Protection. Then lastly, the armor is put on through prayer. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. So conclusion. Uh, Here is the example of putting on the armor of God in prayer. Uh, Many of you know that uh, I greatly appreciate the book entitled Valley of Vision the Puritan Prayers. If you ever buy the book, and if you go to Amazon, be very, very careful, because there are two books that are entitled Valley of Vision. <laughs> one of them is, is garbage. It has nothing to do with spiritual things. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And then there's the Valley of Vision with the subtitle Puritan Prayers. If you buy it, that's the one you want. That's the one you want. But here is a prayer taken from the Valley of Vision. It's entitled Regeneration. And uh, I have divided the prayer up. These uh, parenthetical statements are mine. Petition, praise, praise, and ground of petition, confession. All of that is mine. because I, I think it uh, just helps us work our way through this prayer. So I'm not going to be reading the parenthetical statements. They're mine but uh, let me read this Puritan prayer titled Regeneration. O God of the highest heaven, occupy the throne of my heart. Take full possession and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel trust. Let Let no vile passion resist thy holy war. Manifest thy mighty power and make me thine forever. Thou art worthy to be praised with my every breath. Uh, let me just say that I also love the way that this book is printed. Uh, for what it does to help make this more understandable is it indents uh, phrases that go with the leading verb, etc. So, whenever you see this indented, you could read what is above it to make it more clear in your own mind. For example, thou art worthy to be praised with my every breath, loved with my every faculty of soul, served with my every act of life. That's said beautifully. But you could read it. Thou art worthy to be praised with my every breath. Thou art worthy to be loved with my every faculty of soul. Thou art worthy to be served with my every fact of life. Get it? So you can do that with each of these indented sections. I'm not going to do that. Moving on. Thou hast loved me, espoused me, received me, purchased, washed, favored, clothed, adorned me when I was worthless, vile, soiled, polluted. Confession. I was dead in iniquities, having no eyes to see thee, no ears to hear thee. No taste to relish thy joys, no intelligence to know thee. But thy spirit has quickened me, has brought me into a new world as a new creature, has given me spiritual perception, has opened to me thy word as light, guide, solace, and joy. Thy presence to me is a treasure of unending peace. No provocation can part me from thy sympathy, for thou hast drawn me with cords of love, and thou dost forgive me daily, hourly. Oh, help me then to walk worthy of thy love, of my hopes and my vocation. Keep me, for I cannot keep myself. Protect me that no evil befall me. Let me lay aside every sin admired of many. Help me to walk by thy side, lean on thine arm, hold converse with thee, that henceforth I may be salt on the earth and a blessing to all. I submit unto you that is praying to put on the armor of God, of assimilating and uh, embracing all of these elements of truth and righteousness and holiness. These are the kinds of prayers that we need to offer to overcome the sin that so easily besets us. Let's pray. Almighty God, I ask that you take this word and use it in our hearts and minds. Thank you for your grace, your goodness to us. May we never lose sight of it. May we never rest in ourselves, our own merits, but we rest solely in the merits of Christ. Lord, we are a needy people. We are weak, but you are strong. So we ask for your strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And we are dismissed.